there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Wow. Dr. Batar, I got a story from your wife, Debbie, that she sent, and I'm just reviewing it before we're going to air here. This is what should happen to the the manufacturers of vaccines. I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you, you believe what is happening here? That's why I told her when she read me the story, I said, this is, this is, she goes, do you think this is be a story you guys want to cover? And I said, absolutely, because of what the court ruled. And yeah. this man now has to spend 20, was it 20 years or 28 years or something? 28 years. Super yeah. Don, you got to add this story somehow. A uh, former peanut exec gets 28 years in prison for an outbreak. Okay, salmonella. So you hear about these things, CDC warning, foodborne illness, right? You never hear of anyone getting in trouble, like a person going to jail. Occasionally you'll hear like a China. company. China. China usually, usually they execute these guys. Right. Well, they no, should, this... they, they should actually execute this guy. He, what's interesting is that he knew that there was tainted peanuts that were being uh, sold, that they were going out into circulation. His employees had notified him. They were able to find emails uh, between his employees and himself where he told them to ignore the testing and still send them out. So despite mm-hmm. being made aware, he went ahead and ordered his employees to continue disseminating and and um you know um he didn't selling. halt the sale yeah i mean this exactly. is this is incredible and and so, the thing is oh, go ahead dr Pichar, sorry i'm so excited say, so about this same no that's okay i was just going to say the same correlation now if you take it to the cdc yeah. they had the whistleblower as we know we've talked about and dr uh, william hooker, thompson and hooker yeah exactly all that information the cdc knowingly um still overrode the safety warnings given 15, 20 years by some of their senior scientists, making them aware, making the CDC aware, making the hierarchy aware of the detrimental effects of thimerosal and some of the other adjuvants that are added to the vaccines. And knowingly, they overrode those safety precautions and still uh, had the vaccines going out there. So can you imagine the correlation? If you were to do a linear correlation, um, it would go to what Super Don just said. They should be castrated and then hung and then executed over and over wow. again, like fivefold, and it would be the equivalent punishment. This, this is stunning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is stunning. That's you know, I just got it literally the, before we went to air, and I immediately thought of, oh my gosh, this is a guy convicted of knowingly poisoning people. Right now, right. you've brought up again the CDC case. We talk about it not just in food poisoning, but how about the whistleblower you just mentioned? How about the fact that their own researchers acknowledged the link between thimerosal and autism and other neurological degradation damage issues, and yet. They hide behind this uh, uh, National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. There's no right. fault. Remember, you can't Robert, sue anybody. This peanut executive, he didn't knowingly poison. He just looked the other way and said, still send it out, even though it was salmonella tainted. So he, wasn't, he didn't go out there and actually do the poisoning. He just ignored the evidence that this, some of the stuff was contaminated. Now, you look at the CDC, they put a poison, a known neurotoxic substance, a known poison, into the vaccines, and then they were told this is detrimental, and they still did it. In other words, the executive's actions were passive. It was, it was passive negligence. Right. These 
well, at the CDC, this is not passive. This is active. No. It's actually uh, it's actually an assault on these children. And now you look at the thousands uh, that were affected by the salmonella versus the millions that were affected mm. by the vaccination. Right, right. I mean, and then it, you have passive. Uh, how would you? How, what did you call it? Passive. Uh, I mean, this isn't. Negligence, passive. Ne- the, I mean, this is aggressively non-passive negligence at that exactly. level. But also, let's think about the broader mainstream media and their coverage of the CDC whistleblower, which has been met with crickets, or they'll turn to that that phony site called Snopes to say it's been debunked, it's not real. Of course, uh, uh, Representative Posey has read these comments of the whistleblower into the congressional record, so they can no longer deny that it's real. So if they had any plausible deniability that, oh, we just heard that was a rumor, right, it is absolutely not anymore. So now every time they continue to promote and promulgate the use of the MMR vaccine for specific to this issue, but even on a broader level, anything containing mercury or mercury derivatives, uh, there is going to be held to pay, whether it be in a court system or whether it be in the afterlife. We know that ultimately they will pay the price. But what we're seeing here perhaps is the first instance where the courts have actually come down on somebody who allowed this to happen. And I think that as time continues, uh, there are certain things that I am not at the liberty to say, some things that you are privately mm-hmm. aware of, Robert, yeah. that I believe that it will not be in the life. Next life. <laughs> it'll be in this, right. this life that they'll have yeah. to pay. And uh, hopefully that uh, that time is coming rapidly approaching us because all this information is being compiled and when the time is right uh, those that have this information those that are collecting this information those that are organizing it and putting the chronological time frame in order once that is all completed uh, I think far sooner than later will we be able to now see the the real picture and get the real story and uh, somebody's going to have to pay for it. That's the bottom line. And, I, you know, you and I know how the political system works. They'll have some lowly person that will take the hit for it. The top mm-hmm. ones will probably end up uh, trying to skim free, but somebody's going to end up having to pay for it. And, and our goal, hopefully, as a society, is to not tolerate an underling being um, – the the fall thrown guy. under thrown under the bus for the for the the work of the overling so to speak you're right exactly um, that we demand you know. that somebody uh, high up pays the right. price well and this is why I sometimes get disgusted with uh, our, our liberal friends the Democrats particularly in California with the whole SB two seventy seven I mean they sold out the children of California to mandate vaccines without exemption who's going to be harmed the worst the poorest of the poor that can't afford to homeschool for instance the only exemption that exists for homeschooling until they take that away and it's not to say that Republicans haven't been corrupted too but uh, by and large if you think you're going to protect the children like Hillary Clinton used to say it takes a village. Stop poisoning them. I mean, a, 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 a society that condones, much less tolerates, this assault on children medically is a society that is very sick, and we are living in that sick society. We're trying to correct it. You're absolutely right, Robert. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, I haven't shared with you some of the things that have happened in the last few weeks, but we had a couple of uh, children from different parts of the world that uh, we've been treating for the last few years that happened to be coming in at the same time and a uh, camera crew from Hollywood came out and documented their stories and uh, it was really this same aspect of the toleration you know the, mm-hmm. the, the what you just talked about how society tolerates or, or allows um, certain 
segments to uh, be ignored. What I mean by that is, you know, from a political standpoint, when you look at people like, um, I won't say any names, but I'm sure pretty much everybody's going to figure out who this is, uh, first loses his license to practice law because of lying in a deposition, then evades the uh, draft by or the yeah the draft by going to Canada then denies that he ever inhaled the marijuana that he admitted to have smoking mm-hmm. and then says in front of national tv under penalty of perjury that he did not have sex with a woman and how do we repay him mm-hmm. we not only vote him as in president once but we vote him in twice so you know this is a type of societal um, passive negligence if you will where yes. we just allow this stuff to happen Society has to understand that we must demand. We, we only get what we demand for. If we don't demand anything better, then we will get whatever we accept. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we are now as a society. People are starting to recognize that, that they demand better. They demand uh, cleaner. They demand organic. They demand range-fed. The, the demand has actually created the, some of these new businesses and the, and the growth of these industries. And what we call integrative medicine, for example, but yeah. people demand it. They used to ridicule it, you know, it was violently opposed. Now more and more medical centers, mainstream medical centers, are coming up with their concept of integrative medicine. Okay, albeit it may just be massage or healing touch, <laughs> and it's not real uh, real uh, integrative medicine like homeopathy or, or mm-hmm. IV therapies or some of these other things, but at least they're realizing that the public is voting with their dollars, and so society is no longer tolerating that uh, apathy, if you will. Well, and this is despite the government intervention to prevent this from occurring. Absolutely. That's what you said. No standing army can stop an idea whose time has come. And this time has come. And this is the thing. When you think we're, we, there's not enough of us, right? We're the little people. It's like, listen, uh, there's there, there's many more of us, but the idea is much bigger. The spirit that flows through through each of us is much bigger. And that's what they can't account for. That's exactly right, Robert. In fact, if you look historically, there has been never a significant change in society that has come from an organization, from a political body, from a government, from any any um, type of organization. It's always been based upon public outrage and public demand. That's when things change. And we're at that point right now. You and I... Over the last five, six years, and, and even the ten years before that, when we were friends, before we started doing the radio show together, we have talked over and over again about the atrocity of the vaccination industry. If, they, if the public knew, if the American populace knew the truth, I mean, if they knew even a fraction of the truth, I'll even go that far and say, if even if they knew a fraction of the truth, it would be enough to justify the next civil war in this nation. Well, and they're teetering on the edge, for instance, in northern Africa, in India, over the vaccine issue. There's a spike in non-polio acute flaccid paralysis in those who are being vaccinated for polio. I mean, we're talking thousands of cases, tens of thousands of cases where they claim we've eradicated polio, and it's only happening in those who are vaccinated for polio. So these are the kind of things that will stimulate an uprising, much like, you know, the, the chemical assaults coming from the GMO and pesticide industry. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is one of those things that more and more the the death struggle that we've talked about, the more they push for some of these things and the more people are becoming aware, they will start seeing the prevalence of these diseases that are supposedly prevented by the vaccines. Those same very diseases actually increase in incidence um, in, in the populations that are being exposed to them. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, again, the mainstream media cheerleaders for all of this that goes on, they are also culpable in this. 
Don't feel sorry for them when they lose their market share and where people go where? They go to the Robert Scabell Show. They listen to Advanced Medicine with Dr. Bittar each and every week here. Go to robertscabell.com. The links are up, including links to Dr. Bittar and his best-selling, international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. You can still sign up for the Mango 4 Health. Uh, we've got the code for you. It's also in the notes. Also, medicalrewind.com. Hundreds of hours of great advanced medicine segments together. We'll be back with more powerful healing after this. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Dr. Batar, last hour I opened the show uh, talking about an, you know a, a big pharmaceutical outrage. It was on Fierce Pharma. They said Touring Pharmaceuticals, which was just bought out by a young guy, young investor, Martin Shkreli, who decided to raise the price of this their hot drug 5,000%. And, of course, you know, they advertise that it's for patients with AIDS or cancer. And it's basically, I think, a repurposing of an old drug uh, called Daraprim. Daraprim. And uh, they used it te- uh, for uh, toxoplasmosis infections, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And I thought, you know, instead of crying about it, because they're worried about the politics involved. Now the presidential candidates are all going to say, how do we force them to lower their prices? And I'm thinking... Dude, if they price themselves out of the market, finally people will demand real answers that are non-pharmaceutical, at least non-patentable, that are affordable and actually work. Like, for instance, we can intravenously introduce silver, and there are other things, that can knock out toxoplasmosis fairly quickly, in addition to support for liver, kidney, everything else that we need to do to detox. But, you know, I'm just not of the mindset that we need to even mess with Big Pharma. We just need to bring back the freedom to heal. I totally agree with you, Robert. It's uh, allowing a free market capitalistic society to dictate what survives and what doesn't. Some people would say, how can you say that? You know, capitalism is bad. Capitalism is not bad. It allows for the process of natural selection to take place. Those that uh, have a viable ability to sustain themselves, I mean, it's a basically a sustainable model, they will sustain themselves, and those that don't, either the pricing or quality or results, whatever, they will take themselves out of the market. And here's the thing, this is the reason that conventional medicine, you know, the medical boards have to come against the integrative doctors, because if they were all put in the same playing field, everybody would go for the, the non-conventional medical uh, realm, because it's less toxic, it's better results, it's, it's less painful, um, you know, it's cheaper, it's, yep. it's more within the um, the confines of uh, what's considered to be within the framework of the ultimate engineer, i.e., it's more God-created. I mean, in mm-hmm. other words, it, it's just a more sustainable model. But it, it, it's going to threaten the mainstream yeah. big pharma uh, corporations. And so because it's a more sustainable model, they have to have their watchdogs, the FDA, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, come down and you know, attack stop boards, yeah. uh, board of pharmacy, whatever other uh, boards, the Federal Trade Commission, whatever organizations that they can, the three-lettered organizations, the governmental organizations come down and rain on their parade because they can't compete on an equal footing. 
Yeah, exactly. And so we applaud the uh, the greed of this particular pharmaceutical company for elevating 5,000% their, their uh, price because inevitably it'll wake folks up, just like we talked about in Minnesota last hour as well, Dr. Batar, where they've legalized cannabis just medically, right? Very restricted forms of it. So it's so outrageously expensive that even the people who can use it legally are saying, I'm going to buy it on the street corner because it's, it's a quarter of the price. You know, it's like... No, you know, you just can't control it that way. That's not the way it's going to work. You'll call it a black market. You'll say it's illegal, but the people will find a way. And, you know, eventually we're asking for the courage of doctors to basically stand up, as you did so many years ago, against the state medical boards and say, no, you're not right. You're, in fact, you're operating under uh, evil tenets to limit the access to this kind of information, much less products and sustenance for the patients who desperately need it. Yeah, because this is the thing. If you put a medical label on it, now it's okay. And if it's not, it's not. I mean, it's just preposterous. When you start looking at historically again, I mean, history is really an excellent teacher. And those that don't pay attention to to history are, what's that old adage? Doomed to repeat it. Yeah, they'll repeat it. They're destined to repeat it. So if you look at things like prohibition, for example, now I'm not a proponent of alcohol. I don't drink alcohol, never have. But when you look at historically, people drank alcohol, then the prohibition came, they made it into uh, an illegal commodity. And how many people died? How many people um, were, were were attacked? And how many, you know, how many... The rise of the criminal syndicate. Enforce yeah. that. And then eventually what happens, they drop the prohibition, and now alcohol is consumed, they tax it. But this is a man-made law. And mm-hmm. so man just goes around making these laws. I think you said it once. You said there's two different types of laws. There's a man-made law, and then there's, I guess, what, what do you call it, God's law? or Well, it's also considered natural law, the law of nature, or nature's God. And uh, that's what we talk about. Although the pseudo-skeptic molecular reductionists don't believe in nature's law or nature's God. But they're, you know, atheistic, and they can have their own little village if they want. All right, well, we've got lots more healing to go. It's Advanced Medicine Medical Rewind with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Uh, we've got you know the Mango for Health link. If you want to be part of the association, you have uh, a special invitation because you listen to the Robert Scott Bell Show, 1358. It's in the show notes. Go check them out. We've got questions of the day on tonsil health, on colon cancer, and tonsillectomy for kids. How safe is it, really? Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, it's outside. No, we're inside. At where am I? It's nighttime. Doctor Batar is with me. It's Monday. It's Advanced Medicine. And, you know, we were talking just about how wrong the media gets so many things or how they are complicit in, in the evil that goes on. Look at this politically. Uh, Rand Paul, and, you know, we've taken him to task on a few things, but by and large there's nobody rooted in the Constitution like the Paul family. And, and you know, like it or not, Rand would limit government probably more than any other candidate. We know that. Uh, he won the big straw poll in Michigan. Mackinac, I think it is. It's a big telltale sign that it, it bodes well. But well, I... Mac- it's Mackinac and uh, Iowa, those two caucuses, that, uh, those two uh, polls that mm-hmm. really have defined who the nomination goes for. But the Iowa poll was canceled this year, and so Mackinac was the only other one. And uh, so far, since 1953, it's been, it's been accurate as to who gets the nomination. So he won the poll, and only, only Politico, as far as I could see, covered it. And, you know, what does it tell you? 
who do they least want you to vote for? The one guy who might make a difference. And as I right. said, we we've got some we've taken some issues with some of the things he says because uh, he's a little more political than his father was. His father was all principle, no movement on it. Uh, Rand has, has you know kind of moved around a little bit just to you know get the conservative uh, pseudo conservative, you will, or Republican establishment more behind him. But it's interesting how they're still fighting him, uh, even though they got Donald Trump, who you're not sure where, what kind of principles he actually carries in all of his populist bluster. Right. Well, Rand Paul's, uh, I mean, CNN has, to their credit, uh, written about the poll, I believe, yesterday, day before yesterday, and they also covered it. Um, today, they talked about Representative Mick Mullaney from South Carolina endorsing Rand Paul, and they, they talk about some of those components. So they are, to their credit, giving him some coverage. But, you know, the thing that I think is appealing about, as you said, there's nobody mm-hmm. that's rooted in the Constitution like the Paul family, but what, one thing with Rand Paul that I've noticed, and even though, you know, I, I agree with what you said, compared to everybody else out there, I haven't seen anybody question things like Rand Paul has. For example, before yeah. he even announced his presidency, there was a uh, link on YouTube, I believe it was, where the issue of the light bulbs came up, where they were um, deciding that the incandescent light bulbs would no longer be legal to manufacture them, would no longer be legal, and then the use of the mercury-laden mm-hmm. light bulbs. And, and he asks the question, why is it that you... Uh, whoever the regulatory body is telling us that we have to use these light bulbs. He said, it's not whether it's good or bad. He goes, that's not the issue right now for me. My issue is I live in the land of the free, home of the brave. And why do I have to have you tell me which kind of light bulb I can have? <laughs> and it was, it was a great point. It was, it, he, he really, really went on for almost two minutes berating whoever that was. I don't even remember who they were having mm-hmm. testify. But it was about the light bulb issue. And, you know, I like his flat tax idea. And, of course, it has nothing to do with medicine, so I didn't know why the hell we're talking about it. <laughs> well, we do political healing from time to time here. And, uh, you know, I acknowledge that even if we, you know, we'll take anybody to task, even some people we, we normally would like about certain things. But at the same time, I agree with you as far as the candidates out there, uh, either in the two major uh, parties, of course, or libertarians as well. What? He's a doctor. That's a medical part. Well, that's true. He is a doctor, and he did uh, acknowledge the freedom of parents to decide whether they vaccinate or not or on what schedule. And so he, he you know, he always, uh, let's say, falls down, if you will, or stands up on the side of freedom, the freedom to choose, and that we appreciate. Uh, so let's go the, the freedom to choose a tonsillectomy or not. There's this issue of sleep apnea, and they're talking about, yeah, let's just remove your tonsils. Let's get the adenoids while we're in there, too. But this acknowledgement of risk that is greater than, oh, it's just a routine surgery. I don't know. Is there such a thing as a routine surgery? Really? Well, there's an adage in surgery. Uh, when in doubt, cut it out. Mm-hmm. And actually, that is probably the worst thing that you can do because once you've cut it out, you can't. it's not like you can glue it back in or reinstall it like you could in a piece of machinery. Right. Uh, so the best surgical interventions are by those who realize the the significance of altering the anatomy and are very conservative. In fact, in Savitson's textbook of surgery, uh, Savitson's considered to be the father of surgery, he actually makes a statement that a monkey can be trained to do the surgery. It's what makes a superior surgeon is the preoperative and postoperative care and the decision to be able to, uh, the, the, the correct decision whether or not surgery Was uh, should necessary. be undertaken because yeah. surgery should be the last resort. Right. So this article, and you can link to it in the show notes at robertscottbell.com, talk about uh, the issue of sleep apnea, which is disruptive to sleep. We know that. But are there other ways to address it? Of course there are. Surgery is a last resort. Unfortunately, it's become a surgery mill. 
Uh, I don't know how I got out of childhood without tonsils. I think it was without having them removed, I should say, because I had so many allergies and breathing difficulties. I think it was just prayer. It's like I prayed to God, please don't let them cut cut on me. I didn't want to get cut on. I had other issues, of course, we've talked about. uh, But in this case, they're acknowledging that there are risks and we don't want you to go in lightly. So at least there's some level of responsibility there. But this leads us to another question of the day. Uh, that we uh, have from time to time here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And since I got Dr. Batar here, I definitely want to hit this next one. I tried to get to it last hour. I was like, oh, oh, this is from Michelle. She says, thank you for always answering my questions. I've been spreading the knowledge you share with others and hope that someday everyone will be awake and realize the health does not come from a pill or a needle. I have an embarrassing question. What can be done homeopathically, or I'll say naturally too, I'll just add that, uh, about tonsil stones? I used to think tonsil removal was the answer. But after hearing you speak about the importance of tonsils, I know I need to find a different solution. Any advice or perspective on how to eliminate the development of the stink, she calls them the stinky tonsil stones, would be greatly appreciated. So go ahead, uh, Dr. Batar. Michelle wants to know. Well, I think that one thing we need to clearly distinguish between is the use of tonsillectomy in a child Mm -hmm. who's still developing and growing versus in an adult who's fully matured. Um, so when we go back to the sleep apnea issue, for example, there's a hypertrophy of the lymphatic and the lymphoid tissue uh, in, in the uh, postnasal area. In kids and, in particular, yes. Yeah, I, I personally don't think that uh, a child should ever have a tonsillectomy under any condition. Now, I personally had a uvul- uvulectomy done when I was in my um, late 20s, mid-20s, um, and that was because I had a sleep apnea issue, and um, I actually didn't even realize it, but I would go 30, 45 seconds without breathing at nighttime. And part of that was actually, you see, when you start having that type of an issue, then you end up starting having left ventricular uh, hypertrophy issues with the heart. and you have Sure, yeah. No, there are complications associated with apnea. I don't mean to belittle that, but right. here you have an issue of tonsil stones, and people don't even realize there are such a thing. They're not, I don't know if they're technically like a kidney stone or a gallbladder stone, but they're calcified tissue nonetheless. Right. Well, I was going back to your sleep apnea point first before we mm-hmm. went into the, the tonsil stone aspect. Because sure. the first issue was about the, the first question or the first comment you made was about uh, sleep apnea, correct? Well, yeah, the story on, on the risk associated with the, the surgery be due to sleep apnea in children. Right, right. So in children, you never, I don't think anything should be done in a child like that. But in an adult, I think it's, it's a very benign surgery. It's, it's very quick, and it can make a huge difference. Um, and they are surgical there, you know, some people get really bent out of shape when you talk about, oh, there's an indication for surgery. Or, right. um, I've had patients actually freak out when I've written a prescription. I tell them, listen, again, mm-hmm. Robert, you know from that lady that called in, you know, who gave me the accolade of being the greatest natural doctor, and I had stopped. And <laughs> the hell, what's so natural about what I do with putting an IV? And so, it, it's not about. I'm, I'm not so naturally oriented. I'm more about getting the result to get the body back to the natural state. That's what my yes. goal is. And if I have to use a, in, in many of these conditions, we are, we are dealing with an abnormal situation, an abnormal or an unnatural way of having gotten there. So sometimes we need an unnatural means to rectify it so we can get back right. to the natural state. And I think that's important for it, people to recognize. It's about appropriate, appropriate responses, appropriate measured responses. Exactly, exactly, appropriate measured responses. And I have no problem using a pharmaceutical, but there are certain keys. If you're going to use a pharmaceutical for more than 7 to 10 days, you are wrong by definition because you're 
altering the physiology, you're, and you and I may have a difference of opinion there, but I have no problem using a drug. If, I, if, I, you know, if I'm going to use a drug for more than 10 days, then there's something wrong. That, that's the wrong answer. If I'm going to use a drug for a short period of time to overcome something, yeah. you know, people say, well, Dr. Tar, how can you justify the use of X, Y, and D? That's not natural. And I say, well, when somebody's been shot at point-blank range in the chest with a 12-gauge shotgun, what is the natural way of healing that? There's only one way. There's no natural or unnatural or integrative or non-integrative or conventional or traditional. This is one way of treating that. You have to stop the flow of blood, and you have to deal with all those, you know, the maceration and the injury, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, coming back to this thing with, with surgery or with, with the use of drugs, I want people to remember that Robert and I, we are like 99% of the time on the same sheet of music, and Robert, maybe you, you, maybe you do agree with me on this. No, I, I've, I've acknowledged your role as, and as physicians, allopathic physicians, the role of allopathic medicine is short bursts, get you out of a crisis and move you on your way. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. I mean, but even homeopaths sometimes will get mad at me for saying that. But listen, I acknowledge that there are other ways to get there to save your life. Arnica is great as an adjunct, but you've still got to do the other stuff. And here's the thing. Most of the surgeons that I know right now, I told you about my friend, Dr. Victor Ferrari, who's a plastic surgeon. He uses yeah. Arnica preoperatively in all his surgical patients. So more and more of the superior doctors are recognizing yeah. the role of other components within their own field of medicine. And so you and I are, you know, I think that's one reason we get along because so well is because we understand that they are, there's more than one way of skinning a cat. And <laughs> when you come back to this issue of tonsils, now I didn't want to go off on that tangent, but when you come back to mm -hmm. this issue with tonsils, you know, the tonsillar stone aspect, and I've, I've actually never heard it referred to as tonsillar stones before. Mm -hmm. um, and this is basically the calcification of the debris that gets left within the crypts within the tonsils and um, then gets calcified and, and forms almost, I, I, in a way, I guess it does form a, look a like stones. substance that's yeah. like a stone. Um, but, you know, there's, in a child, I would always have an issue dealing with a child surgically because to me, there is too much from a developmental standpoint that's still taking place in this sure. minute especially with the lymphoid tissue when it comes to the stimulation of the immune system and the integration and the, and the correct well, we want to move. the viability of the immune system that we don't want to disturb any of that lymphoid uh, right. tissue. We want so to move the lymph. That. And there are homeopathic remedies. I mean, when there's inflammation there, phosphorus is always a good one to go to. Believe it or not, we use homeopathic forms of mercury, which are not measurable, so they can't actually give you mercury, but that's one of the integrated remedies. Mercury is and phytolaca and lachesis, just for use the homeopathic little uh, options there. I don't know what other things we can do, but there are all kinds of things that we've got to do to get that lymph moving again. Yeah, because it's all a stagnation of lymphatics, and then, of yep. course, if those crypts, uh, the food, the remnants are in there that have been calcified, then, you know, that's another thing is where chelation pulls off the calcifications, and that's one of the, the yes. calcium depositions are, are reduced. I use this with the women with calcific uh, lesions in their breasts all the time, and it's not Excellent. because they have breast cancer or... You know, that they may be concerned because they have fibrotic tissue, and so we'll, we'll start the process of chelation, and sure enough, within a few months, the calcific lesions have deteriorated, and there's no evidence left. All right, Michelle. Well, there you go. We got more coming. We got one more question of the day related to stage three colon cancer. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. 
We'll see if we can get to one more question of the day. But real quick, Dr. Batar, I want you to comment on this article here uh, about uh, breakthrough drugs, right? And it says this, that uh, when the Food Administration, Food and Drug Administration says it's a breakthrough drug, it doesn't mean the same thing that we laypersons would normally think. Oh, a breakthrough drug, that's got to be huge, you know, big deal. But according to this article, they're saying, no, it doesn't mean that. But that's, that's not unusual for government to, to inflate or change definitions. I think the key word there is inflating. They're inflating everything, hyping everything up. There's nothing new under the sun, Robert. The, the same old drugs that change a little component here, a little twist there. You know, like look at chemotherapeutic drugs. They're all, all the same things. Everything, every new drug, every new protocol, it's all goes back to the adriamycins or whatever the, the three major classes of the chemotherapeutics are. There's never been a significant new uh, drug that's been brought into the market probably in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. You can even look at, like, the acid pump inhibitors, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was when the, when the beta blockers didn't work, when the, um, um, like, the tagaments and the Zantex. Yeah, they um, went to the PPIs, and boy, oh, boy, did they create a whole new uh, industry. Right. I said beta blockers. I didn't mean beta blockers. But the, when, when the, you know, when, well, all these different classes of drugs or these various classes of drugs, if one thing doesn't work, then they use something else. And the, the mechanisms of actions may be somewhat differing, but in most drug cases, it's the same old thing that just made a little twist and yeah. turn. So, I mean, I, you know, silver dean actually was a big breakthrough because it was the first time somebody started using silver in the conventional right. realm um, as a new drug. But the vast majority, by and far, there's yeah. nothing new. By the way, breakthrough officially is an aspirational term, as they say, chosen for the 2012 Act to help expedite new drug approval process. So it isn't even what you think it means. And that's the point of this. So don't think, oh, my gosh, the night, oh, they got a breakthrough. No, these are all a bunch of lies and hype to get you to pay 5,000% more than you need to that you could do a much different way. And speaking of a much different way, we got another question of the day coming through. Uh, this is from Terry. She says, is there a natural cure besides diet for third-stage colon cancer? My brother-in-law has it. My sister called the Scott Hamilton Cancer Center, and they told her there was no cure. I don't buy that at all. He is willing to try a natural route, which is a big deal for him, as he's a diet-in-the-wool believer in only traditional medicine. Is there a natural cancer center somewhere in the country that I can contact? They also live in Missouri. Many thanks, Terry. What do you say? Well, you know, one thing I want to come back to that breakthrough question for a second. It just made me mm-hmm. think of something when you said that it's a, it's a definition and it's kind of like evidence-based medicine. They change and contort the definition of evidence-based to use it for the double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trial definition, whereas yeah. really that's not what evidence-based means. And it's a similar thing here when you're talking about with the, you know, with, with this, um, the, the, the question that this lady has asked about a cure. You know, is there yeah. a cure? There's nothing, there's no cure. Well, this isn't, there's no panacea. You can't just take a word or define a word like evidence-based medicine or breakthrough drug or a cure, and then we, we take the word and we have an association with our own individual perception of what that word means, and then we run with it. So when they're talking about a cure, most people are going to see a cure as a product, uh, a drug, a homeopath, a IV. Yeah, one, one substance, if you will, the magical concoction we all look for, right? And I think exactly. to your point, you know, when you see a patient that comes in with cancer, it's not the same thing for everybody. And there are certain commonalities, but my goodness, you're taking care of that person. It's a human interaction. It's not about, oh, you're lacking this one particular substance. You might be deficient in selenium, for instance. But, I mean, it's so much more comprehensive than that. 
Right. In fact, most cancer patients, for example, the vast majority of cancer patients are probably going to be low in selenium. The vast majority of cancer patients are going to have some type of toxicity. The vast majority of cancer patients are going to have mercury. The vast majority of cancer patients, and the list goes on and on and on. They're common characteristics of all cancers. They're obligate glucose metabolizers. They're obligate anaerobic metabolizers. Uh, you know, oxygen is detrimental to all cancers. So there's common characteristics, but there's no cure. It's no panacea. As long as you start thinking uh, of, along the words of a cure, like meaning a solution, mm-hmm. a one solution, one answer, you're not going to be successful. Right. It's a multifaceted approach, and you, that's one reason the seven toxicities that I talk about in my book, they come into play. Right, right. All of those seven toxicities, and um, you know, it, it, I don't know. And by the way, about. the thing we did with Ty Bollinger is the quest for the cures, not singular. There are many different ways to get there. And you may want to have your brother-in-law contact Dr. Batar's office in North Carolina, drbutar.com, or have him read the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Or join Mango for Health. We got the links up in the show notes there as well. Dr. Batar, another great advanced medicine medical rewind episode. Thank you, Robert. Always great to connect. Thank you, Super Don, as well. To all y'all out there, we're here to remind you, plain and simple, that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show.